Our first reading is Isaiah chapter 2, and then from Hebrews Hebrews 9, yes, we'll read that as well, but our sermon will be primarily from Isaiah chapter 2. It says, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. For he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war. Anymore. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines. They are pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is also full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, there is no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. People bow down. Each man humbles himself. Therefore, do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low, upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, upon all the oaks of Bashan, upon all the high mountains, upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish, upon all the beautiful sloops. The loftiness of man shall be bowed down. And the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols he shall utterly abolish. They shall go into the holes of the rocks, to the caves of the earth, from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty, when he arises to shake the earth mightily. In that day, a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each for himself to worship, to the moles and the bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. Sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils, for of what account is he? Amen. And Hebrews 9. Then indeed... Even the first covenant, talking about the old covenant, had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant, 
overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. And they concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. How much more shall he cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is in force only after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you. Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered but once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Amen. The grass withers, 
The flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So turning back to Isaiah 2, if you want to follow along there in uh, your bulletin, I'm going to be uh, preaching basically on the first five verses of Isaiah 2. Uh, This is most definitely uh, an Advent-style passage. Um, It's very often included in sermons that have to do with the coming of Christ. Um, And as you look at Isaiah, uh, reading through the prophet Isaiah, you you get the the sense very quickly why people often call Isaiah the fifth gospel or the gospel of the Old Testament. It is, among the prophets, the clearest at prophesying the Lord Jesus Christ and the clearest at presenting uh, what the future would be, what the New Testament really would lay out. And uh, one of the indications that you get that Isaiah is talking about the New Testament period, that is going to be part of my argument for this uh, passage here, is that when he says the latter days or the last days, in Hebrews 1.1, we could have read that text, but we didn't. But in Hebrews 1.1, God tells us that in, in various times and in various ways in the past, he had spoken to his people by the prophets and, and all those things. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So when we see phrases like this in the Bible, the last days or the latter days, we can say at least that they started when Christ was doing his earthly ministry. Right? Hebrews 1.1 makes that clear. Uh, we like to think of the last days as the final few days before Christ comes, and that's, of course, true in a sense. But the Bible uses it in a much more a broader uh, scheme, as it were, the last days being uh, the last days of uh, this, this time that was prophesied, the latter days, the later days, uh, are what is being prophesied here. And it, again, it at least began in the first century. And that's, again, part of my argument this evening. I'm going to argue that Jesus Christ is being presented in these first five verses especially. So how am I going to present that argument? It's going to be through persuading you about a mountain. The mountain of the Lord's house is the place on which... The house of the Lord is built, right? So it's the mountain of his house, right? So you think a mountain supporting a house. What or who is that which upon the house of the Lord is built? Or maybe you might know this. Let's take at it more common sense route. Who is the Lord's house? The church, right? Okay. And upon whom is the church built? The Lord Jesus Christ. So you have very prophetic imagery here. And I would argue that you can replace Jesus or replace uh, the mountain uh, in this passage with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it begins to make even more sense. And I'm going to do that now. So look back at it if you want to follow along, or you could just listen. It says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that Jesus shall be established on the top of the mountains, meaning he is greater than all other mountains. He is greater than all things that have been made, the greatest of things, and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow to, not it, him. Right? We don't believe that all nations are going to a place or that there will ever come a time again in the future 
where all nations will need to gather to a certain place. But they do gather to a person, right? Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the Lord Jesus, to the church of God, of the God of Jacob, where he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law or out of the Lord Jesus and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. So replacing these mentionings of the mountain of the Lord's house, or the mountain is the Lord Jesus, the Lord's house is the church, you begin to see that it makes plenty of sense. I mean, unless you would like to be a dispensationalist, which you're free to do, um, but it doesn't make sense of the way we read the Bible and a faithful reading here, because these things have very obviously begun to take place. All the nations have begun to go to Jesus. Now, Maybe we believe there's a greater fullness of that coming in the future where more and more of the nations will go. But it is undeniable that more people believe on the Lord today than did when Isaiah wrote this passage, than did when the Lord Jesus died on the cross. More people have heard of the gospel. The nations are flocking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes some places are going more than others. Sometimes some places are going less than others. But you can see when you consider also the theology of this passage or kind of the imagery of what is going on in light of the New Testament, in the Gospels, the, the Lord Jesus begins to replace the temple, doesn't he? Right? They go to him for healing. Now, the temple is still standing when Jesus is there, so he points them back to that ministry so they can be restored to the worship of the Lord. But the point is, the one who is greater than the temple is there. Right? The, the place at which people were to go was at some point no longer going to be a certain city, a certain location. It was going to be a person. And when you see that the Lord's house, very obviously, the house of God is the church, what is the house of God built upon? It's the Lord Jesus. So the Lord Jesus is the mountain. And, and all the mountains of God prefigure the Lord Jesus Christ. Even think about Mount Sinai and the imagery there where the people go up to the mountain. And on that mountain, they meet with God. We don't go to a mountain anymore. We go to a person, right? The Lord Jesus brings us to meet with God. God, all the mountains of God in the scriptures prefigure the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see in the scriptures that with the new covenant, again, the saints no longer go to a place, but they go to a person. You can think about what Paul says it a couple of times. Peter says it a couple of times that the church is built on Christ, the cornerstone. And that cornerstone is the one that the builders might have rejected, but they broke themselves on it because Christ is the chief cornerstone. He is the rock of offense to them. And in verses 1 to 5, I, th I think we could say that these things make the most sense by applying them to Christ, what he began in his earthly ministry and his ascension. Is he not ascended above all things? He is. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. There's no higher place. He's above all mountains. He's above all kingdoms, and all kingdoms must bow down to him. I would also argue that this, this part of the passage where it speaks about him judging between the nations and rebuking many people, 
where they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, et cetera, et cetera. I would argue that that, at least for right now, maybe there's a time in the future where it will have a more natural and civil manifestation, but at least right now, the most obvious fulfillment of these, these things is what happens in the church, where various nations that are at war with one another through Christ, when they gather together to worship, are no longer enemies. In Christ, all nations are brought together. Their weapons are turned into uh, plowshares and all those things. Um, neither is there any war in the church, technically, because the church is a spiritual place. It's a heavenly mountain. It's a heavenly person, as it were. And what I want to give you one application, and then I'll, I'll close with prayer. Uh, the application is, is just to have um, like a higher view of, of the church, a higher view of what goes on in the church. Because if you take this mindset, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, for there he will teach his ways and we shall walk in his paths. That, that has a different ring to it than I have to be at Sunday school at 945, doesn't it? Or that worship starts at 11. It just has a different ring to it. Let the scriptures fill your mind and enchant your vision and sight of the faith so that even in this Advent season, the glory of the Lord might be restored to you and joy in his worship as we come to his house where he teaches us his ways and we walk in his paths. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven.